we continue on this journey of Lent, and today uh, the title of the message is Walking with Jesus Through the Vineyard, and it gets that uh, focus from the 13th chapter of Luke. Uh, and if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there with me and follow along. We uh, share together in uh, listening to these words of Holy Scripture. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Are those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and he found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Any disaster becomes suspect when we believe that God punishes evil, whatever it may be. Do you remember the comments of those uh, particularly who were religious voices on televisions in years past at the earthquake in Haiti and the reactions that they had? The pointing of the finger at Hurricane Katrina, the 9-11 attacks, the scourge of AIDS on our society. In all of those situations, there were those that were calling out loud and clear that these were brought on by the sins of people. That is not to say that people don't sin. We have perfected sin. But we rush to believe those who tout that God is chastising and chastening by way of these disasters. And if we are not careful, our logic, our theology will become very dysfunctional as we pursue that path. For ultimately, the more brutal the tragedy, the more heinous the sin. Everything finally becomes suspect in our mind. When something bad happens, then somebody must be responsible. Ultimately, of course, all of this points toward God. 
And that's the dysfunction of it. Because God is the one that set it in motion. Ultimately, isn't he the one that's responsible? But even where we are now, in the midst of our pointing the finger at those that we think would be the responsible parties, we do God a disservice. Jesus discounts the idea that God wields power to punish sinners. And he does this by referring to two tragedies. You heard it just a moment ago in the reading of this passage. I don't know what the situation was. But I do know that Pilate ruled with an iron fist. In fact, it was under his watch that Jesus lost his life upon the cross. So we know that he was using all means that he had at his disposal to deal with situations that he considered problematic. And Pilate had evidently been incensed about some kind of unloyalty among a group of Galileans. Maybe they were zealots. I don't know what they were. But he saw his opportunity, and when they came to offer their sacrifices in worship, he had his guards evidently cut them down so that not only in that place were the blood of lambs was the blood of lambs shared but their lives were also taken and Jesus uses this as an opportunity to raise the question do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans you know the ways that some people think if this happened to them Something bad must have been going on in their lives to bring that kind of thing on. And so Jesus uses another example. He talks about the 18 people that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Now, it may be that this was set in motion by some earthquake. I don't know. Or it may have been, it may have been that it was just faulty construction. Things like this happen. But whatever the cause of it, Jesus discounts the idea that it was because of the sin of the people on whom this tower fell. You and I look in the wrong places to put the blame. But the real overarching principle here is that God doesn't work this way. And if we would listen to Jesus we wouldn't find ourselves so much pointing the finger as just listening and being aware. These tragedies do happen. Throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus shares about a God who cares, who reaches out in love to the entire world. Do you remember that Jesus was accused time and again of fellowshipping with those who were sinners? You remember him hanging out with the tax collectors 
and the prostitutes even. He put himself in situations where they knew good upstanding religious folk would not go because God would not go there. And yet Jesus turned all of that on his ear and said, this is the nature of God. Do you remember that it's in the Gospel of Luke that we find this parable of the prodigal son? I like the name that Frederick Buechner gives to it, the waiting father, the waiting father. Because really it is about the father here. And how the son who gathers up the inheritance before the father is dead goes off and wastes it finds himself in abject poverty and asks himself the question, what am I going to do with my life at this point? And realizes that he could at least serve as a servant. When he begins this journey back home, his father sees him, meets him on the road to welcome him back in. That is the nature of God. That is the nature of God. God is not the one that points the finger and says to the son, look what you've done now. That's the elder son that does that. That's his role. But God as the loving father is at the very heart of the story of the gospel. Sometimes I think we threaten people in the way that we talk about God. We impose our tone on the message in these stories that Jesus recounts, he adds in the third verse and in the fifth verse these words. After he tells the story, he says, he says, are they to be blamed? Are they any more sinful? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And some of you will say to yourself, Aha, you see, there it is again. Jesus in the form of God is going to get us if we don't repent. Now, I think you're misreading when you read the scripture that way. This is not a threat from Jesus. This is a loving reminder. It's a heads up. That those things that we do that are wrong are not just an injury to God. They're an injury to us and to our world. Tell me what sin you can commit and not injure yourself or your family or your community. Even our most private, what we consider private sins, do an injury to our minds and to our souls. Do you remember that Christ's character is known through forgiveness, though? This is the one who told his disciples when he was asked how many times they were to forgive. He said seven times 70. Now, if any of you have a calculator, don't work that out, okay? He was saying, don't, you don't. You don't stop forgiving. This is the nature of God. 
you don't stop forgiving. You remember when an individual was brought to Jesus who was caught in adultery, the very act of adultery. They were ready to stone her. Do you remember what Jesus said to them? I know you do. Somebody tell me. Exactly. He who has no sin cast the first stone. Now, is that the nature of Jesus? You know that it is. It's at the very heart of God because it's at the very heart of who Jesus is. You and I who are so prone to cast blame on others, our reaction might be, don't you know that you need to repent? These are the messages that we send to the world around. We need to remember that God neither causes nor delights in our suffering. I love the fact that our children were studying the Bible a year ago and they called it Bible black belts. I had not heard of that and I was so entertained with just the title but they were actually doing little routines there with the scripture and learning it. There were expectations that Haley had for them at that time that they would come in and they would repeat certain passages of scripture and they had to stand up and they had to show that they were serious about learning the scripture. But one of the things that they were learning every time they got together was this pledge about how they would view the Bible and how they would represent the Bible. And it's one that all of us would do well to memorize. Let me see if I can speak it as emphatically as these children spoke it on their Wednesday nights. This is the Bible, the book of God's love. It is full of amazing stories of faith, amazing people of faith, and amazing deeds of faith. The Bible may have been written long ago, but it has great meaning in my life today. Can you imagine the children saying this? Its words can inspire me, comfort me, teach me, and challenge me to be my best self. A true servant of God. This is the part I like best. The Bible is not a weapon. I will not throw it at anyone. I will not use its words to hurt others. Just so I can feel better about myself. This is the Bible. The book of God's love. Isn't that beautiful? I just think that is the most remarkable pledge. And it teaches what all of us should know. And that is that God is a God of love. Now, I don't want in any way to send the message to you 
that God loves us so much that there's nothing that we need to worry about and nothing that we need to do. Jesus did not say that. In fact, Jesus said, repent, didn't he? What is repentance? It is thinking a different way and giving your heart to God in order that you might not make the mistake with your entire life of doing the thing that is not of God. When he warned us that we are to repent rather than perish like these other persons, he wasn't saying they died because of their sin. He was saying unless we focus on ourselves rather than spending our days focusing on others, then we will die so desperately as well. Do you hear Jesus in that? Not judgment, but the saving love of God. It's easy to misunderstand this parable of the fig tree that he uses because it seems so straightforward. But like all parables, let me tell you, there's a twist in it. Have you found the twist? Let me read this again for us. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. At first glance, you would think that perhaps God is like the man who is just waiting to lower the boom on that fig tree. I know the frustration with the tree not bearing fruit. A couple of years ago, Sue and I planted six blueberry bushes in our backyard. They're not much bigger than when we planted them. Don't tell me that I didn't fertilize them right. I found out what I was supposed to do. I've got it on my calendar, on my phone to remind me when I'm supposed to fertilize those plants and how far I'm supposed to space it out from the roots. I've been diligent, but the few blueberries that have appeared, the birds and the squirrels and the deer have plucked them away. Not that there were that many, but they've got them before I've gotten to them. And what does it matter? Because the plants haven't grown six or eight inches since I put them where they are. But don't you tell me to cut those plants down. <laughs> I'm not going to dig around them, but I'm going to put fertilizer on them next Sunday afternoon. It's on my calendar to do that. And I'm living in hope. 
that one of these days those bushes will be as big as I am and I'll gather many a blueberry from them. Think about this just a moment. Consider this. Is it possible, is it possible that in this parable that the gardener is God? Jesus threw twists in this way all the time. God is the one who intervenes to redeem. Always. He is the one that goes beyond justice for what the situation would demand in order that there might be mercy because mercy is what saves us. Rather than to think of God as just waiting to punish us. Isn't it far more powerful to believe that God's mercy knows no bounds? I can guarantee you that even this time next year, if those blueberry bushes haven't grown but an inch, I will tell you, give me one more year. And the year after that, I will tell you, give me one more year. And the year after that, I will tell you, give me one more year. Isn't that less just like a gardener? Living with such hope. God is the gardener here, friends. The gardener will always, always, always say, give us one more year. In your life, how is it that you relate to others? Do you do so judgmentally? Think it all through again. God works with such a heart of mercy. Focus on your own sin. Be repentant. Truly repentant. And it will give you a different way of looking at the 